I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello, hello, welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. Today, as ever, I am joined here in LA by my co-host Joe in London. Our old friend and regular contributor to the pod, Yanni, is on the call as well. Likewise, joining us from our hometown. And then we're all thrilled to be in the company, albeit virtually, of a special guest for this show. Today's guest is a social media maven, a fellow podcaster, as the host of the Let's Make a Difference podcast, which was born out of a previous charitable endeavor of his. And quite excitingly, well, at least for Yanni and myself, he's a fellow gunner and moreover, a member of the Arsenal Supporters Trust Board. Welcome Akil Vias to the United Mates Football Podcast. Akil, cheers thank for joining us. It's an absolute yeah. pleasure to have you with us. Yeah. And how are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thank you. No problem. That was quite a, quite a welcome, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a few things there. You said that have got me thinking as well that I've actually... I need to do more with Let's Make a Difference, actually, because it's been a busy few weeks. But yeah, no, apart from that, all good. Thank you. Now, quite the impressive uh, resume. Otherwise, uh, Joe, we've had our fair share of Spurs fans in the past on this podcast, but I think we're probably at a point where whether or not you'd admit to North London being red, this podcast is, as far as the majority of our guests' allegiances, red. What do you make of that? And how are you doing, mate? Ah, oh, makes me depressed. But you know, sometimes we have to speak about Arsenal. It's fine. It's fine. This is this is part of the deal we have, the Tottenham Arsenal fan podcast experience. But yeah, I'm good. Tottenham won on the weekend, Bale scored a hat trick. So that that's nice after the yeah, weeks of numbness and pain for us. But um no, all good. All good. Yeah, as far as numbness and pain, I think recently we've probably all been in it relatively together and then Yoni, yeah we've got you here too and i'll reference now for the listeners that we're recording this podcast on tuesday it'll be released on friday that's of course the day after arsenal's second leg tie in the europa league semi-finals against villarreal so on that note good evening Yoni. how's it going evening hi uh it's going all right and joe's not alone in being depressed about having to talk about arsenal um, but here we are uh, but yeah generally doing well and glad to be back on Fantastic. Well, um, Akil, as we've all said, you know, it's great to have you with us. And um, we always start our episodes with an icebreaker question um, to our guests. So, of course, we're going to do this for you as well. And for today, it's going to be something relating to um, your background. And given that your um, body of work, I believe, has recently been in water and its conservation, um, we're going to flip that narrative slightly because we all know that water is something we can't live without, but today's icebreaker is taking water off the table, quite literally. If you could only drink one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? And I'll let you have some time to think about it. But Yoni, um, how about you um, You give us an answer first? Uh, I think of, at this point, the answer probably has to be coffee. I, like I, My body notices it when I don't drink it. Um, and feels a lot worse for it um so maybe biologically i'm addicted now 
yeah, like it's not a very interesting answer, but coffee it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm partial to a coffee or two in the morning, I'm, as is, you know, many people. I think that's a decent enough answer. Kai, how about you, though? What, what are you going to go with? I think this is quite a tricky one when you really think about it, because water, you know, it never really gets old. And, you know, in terms of it just <laughs> goes down easy, other things are quite intense and water is very inoffensive. So to think of something that actually you have to imagine sort of downing glass after glass of for a lifetime is, is tricky. But on a caffeinated note, I think I'll go with the crisp pear edition of Red Bull. Uh, the folks at Red Bull, you know, they certainly know how to run a football club and they make a lovely pear flavored energy drink. It's pretty refreshing. Um, although, yeah, on that caffeine note, it'll probably do me in pretty quickly, but we'll just, I think, for convenience sake, to answer the question, forget about that part for now. <laughs> Fair enough. A bold choice, but we like that. Um, Akil, you've had some time to think about it. What are you going to go with? I've got, I've got two. I've got one that will probably kill me very quickly and <laughs> one that might keep me alive. So the one that will kill me very quickly is Jack Daniels. Massive sort of Jack Daniels fan. Um so I would, but I'm not sure I could have that every day, all day, because that, <laughs> that would mean you've got problems. So, uh, yeah. Um, but if you were to tell me something that would actually keep me alive, probably a chai latte. So I, I do love a chai latte. That can be from a chain like Starbucks or Costa, but it can also be from independent places because a lot of them do a chai latte. I've even, during lockdown, I even bought from Amazon my own mixture. So I started making them myself, um, had a coffee machine and all that kind of stuff. Um, that lasted about two weeks because washing the coffee machine after is is, is an absolute mission. Um, so I kind of ditched the coffee machine, uh, but I still use the mixture and, and stuff like that. So yeah, probably a, a chai latte, you know got a bit of water in it as well so that will hopefully keep me alive nice yeah that that's the plan at least anyway so yeah great great um choices there i guess i'd probably i'd yeah an alcoholic option maybe a nice you know cold lager every day but again that probably wouldn't be too good in the long term but then anyway we'll go away from um what drinks we'd like and let's talk about um arsenal <laughs> topic i don't love but there you go so um akil i know that um People, you know, everyone makes mistakes in their life. And I, I, I think that you know, this is arguably, for me anyway, probably the biggest mistake you've made in your life. But I'm still interested. What is the story behind how you became an Arsenal fan? Uh, well, it goes back to, to when I was a little kid. I mean, it, it, my family support Arsenal. My mum grew up in North London, not, not, not too far from Arsenal. So it, it was, it's always been in the family, in the blood. Um you know, started to watch, you know, it was always on on the TV and things like that. You know, someone bought me my first shirt when I was too young to remember. And then it was really kind of in those early 90s watching Ian Wright. And Ian Wright was a, was one of the major reasons why I really loved, loved Arsenal because he was a real character, an entertainer. You know, when you're four years old or three years old, you don't understand football. You don't really, you don't even care if you win or lose. But what you do care about is if Ian Wright scores, he'll probably do some sort of a silly celebration and that's going to be quite fun to watch. So it was the righty factor that kind of got me into it. Um, and then it just grew from then. I started going when I was fairly young and then started going to away games, started going to Europe, um, got involved with the AST, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later. Um, and then it just grew from there. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was that family kind of aspect and then that Ian Wright factor, I would say. I think we are, yeah, just about to chat about some of that AST stuff. But obviously, the kill, it's been, yeah, quite a turbulent time recently in the world of Arsenal fandom. We're not the only ones, of course, but 
we'll get a bit more into the, the turbulent stuff later on. Um, on the flip side, you're in you know quite a unique position on the Arsenal Supporters Trust board. So we wanted to know a bit about that journey. How did it come yeah. about in the first place? And what have been some major highs from that experience? Yeah, so the, the, the AST has been around for, for many years, uh, much longer than I kind of when I first got involved. Um, but, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a young kid, I, I always, I've always done things on my own terms and done them myself. So where a lot of people get, you know, their parents or older siblings to take them to football, you know, it wasn't really, that wasn't me. You know, my, my dad wasn't massively into football. Um, I didn't really have people to take me. So I had to do my own research. And you know, I remember as a kid ringing the Arsenal box office to find out how a 10-year-old or an eight-year-old can get tickets. I had been a few times with people, but, you know, how can I do it myself? So it was all, a lot of it is all just, I've taught myself how to get into football. And then the Arsenal Supporters Trust was something similar. I got to an age where I thought, well, I want to be more involved here. You know, I used to... Um, you know, get involved in forums and stuff like that, as, as most people did in sort of 20 years ago. Um, and then the, the Arsenal Sports Trust just provided a different opportunity. So I joined as a member. I thought, oh, actually, it's only about £2 a month. I can afford that even as a 16-year-old. And then kind of just got into it from then, went to their meetings that, you know, obviously pre-COVID world, things were face-to-face. It was a different world. We wouldn't be probably sitting here like this. Um, got involved, went to the meetings and just, yeah, took an interest and, you know, sort of offered my help and stuff like that. And then as, as I was doing that, my career was obviously taking off and things like that and was invited onto the board. And yeah, I haven't really looked back since. But again, it was all just, uh, I always always think, you know, that, that there is people and I see it all the time and I've seen it today on, on social media that, you know, you always see people who are saying, you know, support a clubs, support a groups really, they don't talk for me. They, they don't represent me. And there's always this, there's always this attitude. And, and, and I've got to say that that's totally fair, but you know, I've, I've actually done something about it. I actually wanted to be involved. I wanted to, um, you know, do more for my football club, you know? Um, and it was all, yeah, it was just hard work and, and anyone can do it really. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite proud of that journey to be honest. Yeah. And obviously given recent events, the voice of supporters has never been more contentious, never more important than it has been. But just to sort of take a step back from the football side of, of your life for the time being and professionally or somebody who works sort of in the positive aspects of social media, creating content, consulting um, and communicating with stakeholders over the platforms. And I'd like to get your thoughts on, given the, the weekend that's just been in terms of the social media blackout, the Premier League and various other Premier League clubs, individuals have blacked out their social media accounts uh, to take a stand against online abuse. What kind of positive steps do you think the platforms can take in tackling the issues that clubs, footballers, bloggers, kind of everyone in some respect in the football community um, faces? And what kind of communication and action would you like to see if you were perhaps strategizing in yeah. this way for Twitter or Instagram or whoever it is. Yeah. So, so actually football fans have been quite involved in this. So I, I'm part of a working group with the FSA, which is the Football Supports Association, um, which has memberships at every, like the Arsenal Supporters Trust, the Spurs Supporters Trust. We're all members of, of, the, of the FSA. So I've been kind of leading a, a small working group. And, and you know, essentially we, we want to change the way people are online and the behaviors and things like that and really kick out abuse and whether that's racial abuse 
gender, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. It, we, we want it to be kicked out because I, I personally believe social media is such a beautiful place um, when it's used right. You can engage, you can, especially in the pandemic, we've seen it's helped people feel close to their family, friends, even just strangers who have, you know, sort of who, who have kind of the same sort of interests as you. And you only got to look at, um, I mean, I looked at, I looked on Sunday night on Twitter and, and obviously there was a boycott, so I wasn't actively tweeting. Um, but I saw how many people were talking about Line of Duty because it was the the, the, the finale in, in obviously in, in England. And um, it was just amazing to see how people who don't know each other were just talking about their show and giving their opinions. And now in a lockdown, if you're living alone, that is your way of communicating with people. So I think I think social is such a great thing. In terms of the work we're doing, obviously the boycott was, was something we supported. We've always said one of our work streams is we'll support what other people in the industry are doing. But there's other stuff. We, we've got a letter drafted um, to social media companies. We're trying to get involved in the government online harms bill to kind of have a bit of an impact there as well. And we're also trying to educate our own sort of supporters. I mean, you know, the social media companies say over 70% of abuse is actually not from England, not from the UK, so where the clubs are based. Um, but it's all about educating kind of our, our you know, fan bases and, and encouraging people to report things as well. The more you report, the better it is and all that kind of stuff. And then ultimately, what do we want? I mean, we want social media companies to act quicker. Um, that that's for sure and, and I think they can act quicker um, they do you know Twitter and Facebook have been defending themselves obviously Facebook and Instagram is the same same company but they've been defending themselves about how many posts that they've removed before they've even gone live so you press the submit button it takes a few seconds for it to go live it's been blocked then on keywords and things like that so I'm convinced the social media companies are doing stuff but it needs to be quicker and more efficient because you don't want you know I'm sure even Joe will admit this, that you don't want people like Thierry Henry to leave social media because it's a way of engaging with Thierry. It's a way of hearing what he's up to. And, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, if you know, if he's Arsenal, if he's Spurs, whatever it is. It, it, it makes a product a lot weaker. You know, it, it's something quite nice about being able to see what players are up to in their private time and with their families and stuff. It shows they're normal as well. So, we don't want to lose people like that. So, yeah, it's really important the companies do better, but it's important us, we all, as individuals, you know, report abuse when we see it and call people out a little bit as well um, by, by reporting it, obviously. Yeah, definitely. We all have a part to play in creating creating atmosphere where it's called out and challenged and also making sure that we behave ourselves. And hopefully this kind of coordinated action does actually lead to some change because I'm not sure I've seen anything like this on social media before when so many high profile accounts have simultaneously boycotted for, for what yeah, is quite I've, a significant period of time. Absolutely. And obviously there'll be commercials. I mean, if, you know, if you pretend you're a sort of marketing director of a big company and you've spent money on adverts, suddenly you're going to think, especially if you're based in sport, you're going to think, hang on, I've just paid Twitter or Facebook X amount of thousands of pounds this weekend when actually hardly anyone was on their social media platform. I want my money back. So it's very small. It will hit the, the companies, but it'll be very small. It won't be anything big enough for them to really react, but it all matters. It, it just shows that commercially the, the, the social media companies do need followers. I mean, Twitter's following and like Twitter's users has actually decreased over the last few years. Whereas Facebook has continued, Facebook had a massive rise and then it kind of went like that, but it carried on going. So for people who are listening, won't be able to see, I'm trying to show a graph that 
had a massive spike and then plateaued, <laughs> but it's still been increasing. Instagram really increased, but Twitter's actually plateaued and starting to go down. So Twitter needs to be really careful because they're not going to get new users if you know they're not going to act fast and efficiently. So yeah, interesting times. Um, I think the companies you know definitely need to do more, but hopefully they will do it. Let's hope so. Moving on to a, a lighter part of the show, and we've got another game. Today we're playing Huawei Witch Lads when I asked the rest of the panel uh, to name the starting 11 from a game of years gone by. Now this one is a game that has a place in the hearts of Arsenal and Spurs fans alike and it can be summed up in just a few words. It's one all at Newcastle. <laughs> I would like you to name the Newcastle starting 11 from Newcastle nil, Arsenal 1 on the 19th of May 2013. This was the game that uh, secure Champions League qualification for Arsenal for the 16th year in a row. Um, Some wind up, or is this a genuine question? <laughs> no, I think I think between the, the three of us, we can get this. Um, okay. I'll start. Harper was in goal. He I was because it was his last ever game. I was at the game, and there was a massive cheer on whatever minute his number was, um, and he got very emotional. Then, obviously, he was never really first choice. He was behind Shea Given, but. He, he, had, he had been there for his whole career. So Harper was in goal. There you go. I've done my bit. <laughs> Steve Harper was in goal, conceding to Lauren Cassioni's winner. Yeah. Um, that's no. very well remembered. So let's go with the back four. Kai and Joe, any suggestions there? I want to yes. say Ryan Taylor would have been knocking about at that time. or he, he wasn't knocking about. I think this was probably one of his many injury breaks. He wasn't even in the squad. What about Colaccini? Colaccini was... Uh, playing centre-back for Newcastle, yeah. Okay. What about the other Taylor? The other Taylor what is his defense? central defensive partnership. Okay. Right. Uh, was Joey Barton there? No, I think this is his QPR mm. spell time. What about um, Musa Sissoko? Uh, he's not there either. Oh, I can only imagine right. he, he was injured as well for this game. Ben Arthur played. I think he was one of their better players on the day. Yeah, Ben Arthur is playing midfield for Newcastle. Was Kevin Nolan around then? Was he? Was that before? No, his time? this was after. I think this was he was already linking up with Andy Carroll as West Ham's little and large strike partnership. Okay. Speaking what about midfielders in West Ham with uh, Diarmi. Sorry, I heard Diarmi there, and Diarmi's still at West Ham at this point. What, what about Johan Kabai, Yoni? Kabai is there. He's uh, in the centre midfield. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think Cissé played up front, actually. Cissé, he, Cissé. he did, yeah. Papa yeah. Cissé played. Was Barr at Chelsea or was he still at Newcastle? He just joined Chelsea that January. Oh, no. Um, Goufran? Yeah, he's up front with Cissé in what looks like a 4-4-2. Um, oh, nice. <sighs> God. Um, this is hard now. Jack Tiote, um, who sadly died a few years ago. Yeah, he's at the basement field with Johan Kabai. So you're looking for a right back, left back, and a wide midfielder. Staying in France, Debushi? Debushi is there. Arsenal, um, I was going to say Arsenal legend, but that's nowhere near the case. <laughs> uh, Arsenal player, Mathieu Debushi, is at right back for Newcastle. So you've said a left back. Double barrel name. Um, I, I can picture him. He cut, he cut a ball across for Cissé. Yeah, Yanga and Biwa. Is that him? Yeah, Maku yeah, Yanga and Biwa. Yeah, that's the fella. Um, he he was at left back. Which was he I, left back? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think I think usually he was a centre back, but mm. could play could play on the left as well. And he was there. 
He was um, part of that team with Giroud from Montpellier that won Liga. Yeah, mm. he was. He what was. position are we? Are we? So now it's just, uh, I, I think, a right midfield or or left midfielder. Um, left midfielder. Yeah. Um, was God. Remy Cabela? Remy Cabela. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good shout um, and a very obscure player, but he's not yet there. Because <laughs> they had so many French players then. Is he's that... not French. He's a bit of a club legend at Newcastle. Oh, Jonas. Gutierrez, there we go. That's right, Jonas, who had that mask celebration and only ever scored sort of two or three goals for us <laughs> to actually be able to see it. Um, but that's pretty good. You got the Newcastle team uh, very quickly there. We've got the Arsenal team up if you want to laze through that, but if not, we can move on. That will be a lot easier. I think Akil, yeah, well, we'll do. let's do it. I, I say that, was, 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 was it Chesney in goal? Yeah, Chesney. Chesney's yeah. in. Uh, Chesney. Koscielny. Probably yeah. put Murta Saka next to him. Yeah, Murta is his partner. Uh, Sanya? Sanya's in. Sanya's in. Left back would have been... Gibbs? Kieran yeah. Gibbs is at left back. Uh, Song? Song guy? No. No, I think this was his nice. first Barcelona season. Correct. So Santi Cazola. Yeah, he's in there. Yeah, Oxley Chamberlain started. I think Theo Walcott started. Walcott did. Chamberlain's on the bench. Uh, Podolski? Podolski started as a striker. Um, Or maybe it was Walcott, actually. But one of those was up top. Uh, So by that, I presume there was no Giroud. Um, Yeah, Giroud was on the bench. Aaron Ramsey? Ramsey is in centre midfield, yeah. Um, How many we got left? So you've got another centre mid and another kind of attacking mid wideish player Coquelin no uh, Wilshire no he was on the bench yeah it's getting a bit tricky now Ozil wasn't around then was he no. the season after um, any clues Yoni uh, the other centre mid is still at the club a granite no Shaq no he came after um, wow Still at the club. That might that might be a misleading, slightly misleading statement. Uh, no, he's no longer playing. Oh, is it Arteta? Yeah, Arteta oh, and right. Ramsey. Right, yeah. um, and you said that was a misleading. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're just looking for an attacking midfielder. Was oh, at the club for a long one. time, uh, um, and injury stricken for a lot Wilshire. of his Arsenal career. Not Wilshire. Oh, one Thomas of the other ones. Sicky. Thomas was the one. Yeah, Riziki. Yeah, played that game um, and Austin won 1-0 so well done you really breezed through that as well so full points to everyone involved <laughs> yeah, I'm quite proud of this um, but sticking with Arsenal uh, on to some more current chat and uh, as I mentioned earlier we're recording a few days ahead of the second leg against Villarreal with this episode coming out the day after that game so as we sit here it could really go either way with Unai Emery's yellow submarine holding a 2-1 lead as things stand I think rather than predictions because It'll be after the fact that this podcast comes out. I thought it'd be better to get your thoughts, Akil, on the potential consequences of a result in either direction, as this is feeling like a bit of a crossroads moment for the team um, and the club in in general. So, Akil, in your opinion, where would a defeat leave us? And conversely, what could a victory and a European final do for Arsenal? Well, it's funny because two weeks ago, this game didn't mean anything if there was a European Super League, Um, because ultimately, you know, there's no sporting merit in a Super League. So, the Champions League and, and the Europa were, were non-existent for the, the, the six clubs. But where does it lead us? So let, let's take the Super League out. A, 
a defeat would be uh, Arsenal would be in real trouble without with you know with a defeat. So just to put it into context, Arsenal receive about just over four hundred million annual turnover. Twenty five percent is from match day revenue. So if you think about this season and last season, um, it's about one hundred forty million hits that Arsenal because there's been no fans obviously in the ground. So that that's a massive consequence. And not to have European football then really does impact you. Because just from being in the Champions League, you get about 45 million straight away just from being in there. You can lose every game, but you just get 45 million. Um, Spurs, when they reached the final, got about 90 million for that run. And Liverpool got about 120 for winning it. So the, the Champions League is worth major bucks. Um, and, and that can... You know, you can increase your wage bill. You can obviously spend money on players. You attract better players as well. So being in that Champions League is huge. I mean, obviously, this is still a European trophy. So you want to win that European trophy. But the, the, the actual result of, of winning the Europa is so much bigger than just a trophy because it gets you into the Champions League. So for Arsenal, that would be, you know, that would be a get out of jail right now, considering where they are in the Premier League. It would be a total get out of jail. It would probably, I wouldn't say save Arteta, because I, don't, I still don't think his job's in threat, even if there is some noise around sort of, you know, supporter opinions. I think that the, the club believe in him. But it would certainly, you know, if you win an FA Cup and then you win a Europa League, even if you finish ninth or tenth, you, you, you're, pretty, you're pretty secure. Um, so it, it, can change, it can change the whole short-term future of the club by by you know winning on Thursday then winning the actual Europa League I'm you know I'm talking about um losing it has obviously the absolute opposite it, you're suddenly to use something that Andre Villas Boas said about Arsenal when he said that um spiral of you know negativity or negative you know whatever he said which which turned out to be total rubbish I'm going to use another word there obviously um, but but it, it actually would be to, to not be in any sort of European competition even the Europa Conference which is just a I don't know I don't think anybody actually wants to be in there but you would still get 30 odd million from it so it's not it's not nothing to be kind of laughed at Josh Gronke said about a year and a half ago that Arsenal are a champions uh, have a Champions League wage bill but are an a Europa League club. Well, imagine having the Champions League wage bill and then not being in Europe at all. It, it's going to hurt. And that's even with, with the fact that, you know, a lot of Arsenal players will be off the books this summer. So Mesut Ozil will be off the books. I know he's gone already, but we're still paying. Um, Shotgun Mustafi, um, there's a few others, obviously. A few others might leave. But being not in Europe will severely impact Arsenal's chances to compete. Now, funny enough, all the Super League stuff has made owners feel so under pressure and so, um, uh, you know, in a position where potentially you may see owners investing in clubs because they feel they've been backed into a corner. That could happen. It could save Arsenal a little bit. Um, but let's presume that won't happen. It's never really happened before. KSE have refinanced debt and things like that. But essentially that's, you know, instead of owing the bank, Arsenal owe KSE, so that might be a couple of mortgage holidays. It might be better interest, but you still essentially owe KSE. So it's not putting money in strictly. So providing that doesn't happen, if Arsenal aren't in, in any sort of European competition, you can't see any big signings um, unless there's owner ownership, you know, investing in the club, which, you know, we don't know um, if that will ever happen. So it's the two extremes. It really is the two extremes. Yeah, as you said, Akil, and I tend to agree, it's 
seems unlikely that whatever happens on Thursday, Arteta will be sacked or will find a new manager. Um, obviously, it's been like an extremely difficult season for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons that Thursday means so much is because Arsenal's league form has been so poor and Arsenal currently sit in ninth in May, which speaks volumes. After so much optimism following the FA Cup final last year around Arteta, what do you think has gone wrong for him? And what do you hope to see from him if he does stay beyond the summer? Well, I think there's been a couple of individual sort of players where, you know, I mean, Aubameyang, since his contract, just hasn't looked up, up to it. Um, has had injuries and obviously had malaria recently and things like that. But all season, you know, you, 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 this is probably, well, this is his lowest goal scoring season in, in since pretty much he became a bit of a name. So it, it, it's it's with missed goals, with, with, you know, Arsenal, we've lacked goals this season. Lacazette is not going to get you 20 goals a season. I think he's actually overachieved Lacazette. But without that, Aubameyang, 20 goals. I mean, remember, Aubameyang was bought because Alexis Sanchez was moving on. And Sanchez was a 20-plus goal scorer every season. We got Aubameyang to replace Sanchez's goals because we knew how important it was. Now, if Aubameyang starts scoring those goals, then, you know, you are really suffering. I think the injuries to Thomas Partey and Kieran Tini have been really impactful. I think they're two big players. Partey was obviously the, the big signing um, of last summer on the final day. And Kieran Tini, you've seen when he plays, he just offers something completely different. We're a massive threat on the left-hand side with, with Kieran Tini in there. Um, so I think I think those three individually. And then I just think, you know, sometimes Arteta's taken risks and they haven't quite worked out. You know, playing a false number nine in the first leg against Villarreal was an example. It didn't work. And, and a couple of times that Mikel has sort of gambled and he's obviously learning on the job. You know, he hasn't got that experience to kind of, look back on and he is learning on the job and he's learning from experiences that he's seen through Pep Guardiola's eyes or Arsene Wenger's eyes. Um, so he needs time to learn. I think he's, he's in that patch in October, well, November time, um, you know, Arsenal won at Old Trafford, um, which was at the time we thought that was going to be a, a real game changer. And, you know, Arsenal would suddenly compete in these big games because we were pragmatic. We were well drilled you know, Man United didn't look like they were going to score at all. But if even if you think of that game, it was a penalty. Hector Bellerin won the penalty. Aubameyang. Apart from that, there wasn't many chances. So that was a sign of things to come. That actually then we really struggled to create. You think of that. I mean, Villa at, at the Emirates absolutely outplayed us. But you think about that Wolves game, Leicester, Burnley, when we lost four or five in a row, whatever it was. Which And that was a bit of the season where we lost it. You know, if we had got points there then we might still have been sixth or something like that and into Europe and it would have been a little bit kinder. But that period was when we completely lost it. You know, we absolutely lost that from the, after the Old Trafford game to Boxing Day when we played Chelsea, completely lost the plot. Um, and we just, I think everything he tried to create goals in this team wouldn't work. You know, he tried Pepe, he tried, obviously Saka's been a great player, Emil Smith-Rowe wasn't really in the team by then. Aubameyang then sometimes didn't play Aubameyang. Tried Lacazette, did this. It, nothing he did worked. Um, and that's quite a lonely place for a manager when that happens. And then you felt like on Boxing Day was a final throw of the dice a little bit. Like, let's just... Mm. let's Because we, we had Chelsea, then we had um, Brighton and West Brom. And you thought that, you know, the Chelsea game's a free hit. But that Brighton and West Brom game, you lose those two. And he probably would have... Probably wouldn't be here now. So Chelsea was a free hit in a way, but because it was a free hit, he tried Emil Smith-Rowe and he tried, you know, the younger players, obviously Martin Martinelli was on the bench that day, but he had played in the cup game against City a few days before. So 
it, it kind of just fell into his hands a little bit. And then obviously those younger players haven't looked back since. But yeah, it's the it's the, the absence of key players, um, losing Aubameyang's goals and then just that lack of experience, to be honest. So what do you think is sort of the next stage for Arteta development wise as a coach looking forward to next season? I think, you know, he's 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 developing an identity. Um, I think he needs players who can sort of, you know, um, play in his identity. You know, we, we have seen players that maybe have struggled. He needs fitter players. He needs those, you know, parte, teeny to, to be fit. Um, and then he, he kind of needs a plan B, I would say. You know, he needs a plan B when things aren't working. You know, he plays up from the back, and and I'm not I'm not too 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 bothered about that. And I know it's sometimes very nervous when you see things. But remember, at the start of the season, Arsenal scored two goals that I thought were just fantastic, both from the back. One was in the Community Shield, and one was against Fulham. Very similar goals. Um, you know, into the midfield, into into your right back, right back into your midfield, midfield across a bang, bang, and it worked twice. And you thought, oh, this is just looks good you know the way we played against Fulham on that opening day but then when it stopped working what was the plan B there probably wasn't one so I think that's what he needs to develop um there are days when I, I miss players like Olivier Giroud just all the time because you just feel actually he would have been a perfect person in some of these you know when we are you know pragmatic and, and give the opposition the ball you've got to then make it count when you have the ball and Olivier Giroud can just get you further down the pitch by winning fouls and things like that so it's that plan B that he has to work on, but you know he has to, you know, work work on kind of you know coaching these players more. And, and he didn't have much of a preseason last year. The pandemic was in full flow. It, you got to say he's been very unlucky. So hopefully a proper preseason. Um, looks like we won't be going on tour or anything like that. So he'll have proper time with those players. Let's hope that that will help him. Well, yeah, like everyone's been saying, it's been an interesting season for Arsenal. But as a Spurs fan who's desperate to see my team win a trophy. You might you might be getting another one in the Arteta reign sooner rather than later, which I fear. But anyway, enough about Arteta <laughs> and the team. Let's talk a bit about the Arsenal fans. So obviously over the last few weeks, you know, it's football's been in a, a it's been a crazy time to be a football fan, especially of a big six team with all the news regarding the ESL. And obviously, as you very well know, Akil, um, Arsenal fans have been one of the number of teams to hold a and I'll say this as a Spurs fan, you know, a very impressive protest um, against the whole situation. And I know you've been part of a lot of the stuff that's been going on. So I guess from your position on the trust and just as an Arsenal fan, how um, how proud have you been of the Arsenal supporters and how they've reacted to all these sort of latest developments in football? Yeah, I mean, massively, massively proud. I mean, you know, the European Super League thing was just, it was so bad in the way it was done. And, and the fact that it was done, it was so bad. And, and you know, you joke about the Spurs and Arsenal thing, but I mean, we, we've, through the FSA, we, we work closely with, you know, the Spurs Supporters Trust, for example. I know them personally, you know, they're lovely people. I wouldn't say that too much to their face, though. But we, we have great banter as well, because it's usually Arsenal that historically have been better. So that that's good as well. But um, we, we kind of... It, it it's it's shown that we were all in it together. You know, we, we, you know, you look at Man United and you look at Arsenal, both ownership issues. You look at what Spurs are going through. You look at, so it's kind of everyone was united, and and that whole Super League brought everyone together. It really did. Um, and then after that, you know, fans have been vocal. Fans have, I mean, you know, we are in a pandemic, so I think I think the talk of protests were always a little bit like, oh, you know, is this 
the right thing to do and stuff like that. But, you know, as long as they're peaceful, as I know at Old Trafford, a few things happen on the pitch, but but as long as they're peaceful, like they were at the Emirates, you think, well, people have the right to protest. These owners need to know what's going on. So I was, I was massively proud of the Arsenal fans. Those who aren't local were on social media, you know, and there were... We, Cronky out was trending on that Friday night when there was protests and stuff like that. So there's been a lot of noise, you know, we've got into government reviews. We've got the whole world talking about it. You know, the media coverage has been really, really strong. So I think collectively every Arsenal fan or every football fan actually has, 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 has done their job well. And that could be just by issuing a tweet. It could be by, you know, doing something more, but yeah, absolutely. You know, really proud. Well, yeah, I think, one thing we can all agree on is it's, it has been a somewhat refreshing. It, it took took this negative kind of situation to arise in the first place, but the reaction to the kind of capitalist greed from the top levels of, of these clubs has been, yeah, refreshing in, in some way. But in light of um, the recent European Super League debacle and protests from fans against club owners, we, we kind of want to run with that vibe, but on the more humorous side of things, um, we've got a little okay. bit of a, a final game before we wrap things up and, Football has a funny way of igniting people's passions and moving away from the boardroom. There's nothing like the rivalries between certain clubs and their respective supporters. What could be a better example than this call with a Spurs fan and the <laughs> Arsenal fans? But in, in particular, I think a player moving to a rival club is something that's guaranteed to rile up fans' emotions. We're big on all sorts of niche starting 11s and sort of putting them together on this show. So for today, we thought... Let's compile an 11 of players who have crossed the divide and made fans regret ever having bought a shirt with their name on it in the first place. So this is the traitors, or maybe or on a less harsh note, the mercenary 11 team builder that we're about to do as a group. Can I grab something? I know people, if, if you're listening, you won't be able to see, but one yeah, second, yeah, what you just it. said, one second. So expect a regrettable jersey purchase on the way, perhaps. It's not number 10, is it? When you talk about kind of regretting names on the back of a shirt, and this is one of your players who will have, you know, who will probably be in the team. But it's oh, uh, no. William Gallas, number 10. I mean, why he was number 10, I've got no idea either. <laughs> oh, um, that made it but, worse. Yeah, well, exactly. But that is probably, you know, something I do <laughs> probably regret. I, I play five aside in these shirts, which is why they're there. Um, and whenever I wear that, it normally does get a bit of a laugh because we play in colours, right? So with COVID, we can't really wear bibs. Yeah, so yeah. often it, it's reds versus non-reds, but we might do whites if we've got enough people with white tops. So then I, I would have to wear that. Um, so, yeah. And it's a nice segue because I think, well, inevitably that name is going to pop up in, in just a moment. I've told this story before on the podcast, but I, in the final season at Highbury, got a Patrick Vieira kit in the summer and he never graced the, the pitch. Well, not even one time because he was off. Uh, to yeah. enter. Oops, that's my, my dog in the background getting riled up. He likes to make an appearance here. <laughs> yeah, um, otherwise... Patrick, Patrick Vieira talk there. Yeah. <laughs> Still painful. Um, but the, the three of us are going to make are going to take turns, rather, reading off some of those names from this kind of uh, mercenary 11. And then the rest of the group will pick a starter for each position between us. So I'm going to begin with the goalkeeper spot. And then Akil, I'll ask you first, but please do feel free to throw in any worthy names that you think we might have missed out. Throw those into the mix. So the goalies to choose from currently in this 11 are Thibaut Courtois, Peter Schmeichel, who obviously did the, the Manchester divide, Petr Cech, Shea Given, famously played for Sunderland and Newcastle, Sander Westerveld, apparently had a brief loan spell at Everton after his days at Anfield, Gregory Coupe, played for both Saint-Étienne and Lyon. That's a quite a historical rivalry. And then uh, we've got Steve Harper as well. 
on this list. So do any of those names or something that I've not mentioned yet stand out to you as a goalkeeper in this? Uh, you, you left out Pat Jennings, who obviously played for Spurs and Arsenal, um, yeah. who obviously was, was, was a top-class keeper. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit historic, but, but he's one you, you, you're probably thinking. I'll probably go for Schmeichel in that, in that lot, though. I think City, especially in that era when he was an absolute legend. We all remember that tunnel thing with Gary Neville. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, I'll leave it to one of you guys to pick. I'll throw it over to Joe then. First, how do you feel about the goalkeeper position? Yeah, and no, I remember the Schmeichel clip. Um, I don't know, Courtois seemed to show quite a bit of lack of class. With, I mean, I know he didn't go directly, but that one, I imagine I imagine um, Athletic Open fans weren't too happy with that. So, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll throw Courtois' name into the ring. Yanni? Yeah, I mean, Courtois, Schmeichel and Czech were the only ones who you probably say were actually first choice for both of those rival clubs. But I think for me, the kind of Gary Neville animosity in that clip probably does swing it in Schmeichel's favour. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Schmeichel. All right, Schmeichel's locked in. Joe, pull up the right backs. Nice. Yeah, this is where it gets interesting. Firstly, um, we're going with a noughties defender with one of the best beards ever in the Premier League. Abel Xavier went from um, Everton to Liverpool. We've then got Glenn Johnson, who started off at West Ham, ended up at Chelsea. And then we've got one Fran as well. Kai, which two teams did one Fran play for? He, I think, lesser known, played for Real Madrid and then was a bit more uh, famous for winning the league with Atletico. So Fantastic. a bit of rivalry that is the same sort of Thibaut Courtois journey. For our, for our Spanish fan base there. Um, Akil, out of those three, is there one that stands out as the biggest traitor? Oh, don't know. Um... <laughs> They're all sort of, I mean, Glenn Johnson, maybe because he left. That was when Chelsea had a lot of money. So they threw some money at people and stuff like that. But I don't know, like Glenn Johnson, maybe. Glenn Johnson. Okay. Yoni, Kai, what do you think? Yeah, I think Johnson, because he sort of crosses the like Chelsea West Ham divide and also Chelsea and Liverpool as sort of Champions League semi final perennial rivals. Um, so I think he gets it on a couple of counts above the others. Nice, Kai. Are you, you going to confirm that? Are you going to you going to stick another name in the? No, I think Abel Xavier's career stands out more for his cool hairdos than the kind of ire that he created between the Merseyside club. So why not Glenn Johnson? There's a famous story of Gaza with the sort of little play gun trying to shoot him as through the window or something like that. I think that's about all he's famous for as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not the first to be on the end of one of Gaza's pranks. Um, yeah, no, it's not. But moving on to centre-back, and now there are, there are lots of names. I want two from this list. A lot of familiar faces here. Start off with Sol Campbell, William Gallas, David Luiz, Rio Ferdinand, Bonucci, Mats Hummels, Mikhail Silvestre, and Yap Sturm. Feel free to throw in any other names, but Akil, what stands out for you there? Uh, well, obviously the big man, Sol, Sol, Sol Campbell. If Sol's not one of your centre-backs, I'm leaving this call right now. <laughs> um, the way he done it, beautiful, wasn't it? I'm staying, I'm staying. And then suddenly, a press conference called at, at, at Arsenal in the Colney. People thought it was going to be Richard Wright. There was only three or four journos in that room, and they were all like, you know, with respect, if it was today, it wouldn't be Sky Sports or the Times in that room. It would have been sort of 
you know, goal.com or someone like that, which, you know, fair place to them. I've, I've got friends there. But but that was what we're talking kind of thing. Like it was, and then Sol comes through the uh, trees and it's just, <laughs> oh, and then he wins a, wins a double in his first season. So Sol definitely, I'll probably go Rio Ferdinand because Leeds and Man United have got a massive history and he went for big money. Um, and, you know, he, he was a legend at Leeds before he went to Old Trafford. So I would say Sol and Rio, which obviously was, England's two centre backs in in you know several major tournaments. Yeah, I mean, if you go with this, it's a pretty strong England's back four so far. Um, Kai and Joe, any disagreements there? I mean, uh, you know, Galas maybe would be you know a temptation, and then the the Benucci thing is what Juventus and and Milan, and then he went back uh, to Juventus. Hummels again actually did the same thing. I think he started at Bayern. And then, or yeah, did Dortmund and then Bayern and then maybe even now is back at, at Dortmund, which is bizarre. But yeah, why not? Especially since, well, Campbell's got to be in there because otherwise it kills leaving. So Rio, <laughs> Rio can join him. Yeah. I'll move on to the left backs and maybe I'll do it in reverse because I'll, I'll end with the name I was going to begin with to, for some suspense. But we've got, um, <laughs> this is a bit of a tenuous one. Julio Arca was known to play at left back. Obviously, I think a bit more celebrated for his role in the middle of the park. I've got Gabriel Ainse, who played for both Marseille and PSG. <laughs> Liam Ridgewell, who played for Aston Villa and Birmingham. Alexander Kolarov has played for Lazio and Roma. Jack Colback, Sunderland and Newcastle. And then we'll finish with the man who was involved in that William Gallas deal. We've got Ashley Cole. Uh, Akil, who's the left back? The funny thing about Gabriel Heinzer is he tried to do it again then, didn't he, when he was at Man United and yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool and then yeah. Fergie blocked the move. So not only did he do it once, he clearly loyalty doesn't go strong in his family. Um, it has to be Ashley Cole. It has to be just the way it all happened. The hotel room, you know, Peter Kenyon, Jonathan Barnett, Jose Mourinho. It, it, it's, you know, that the way that all happened, you know, Ashley was... He was, a, he was an invincible, he was an absolute legend at Arsenal um, and it all went wrong somewhere. Um, and yeah, he, he was he was the best left-back in the world at that time as well. So, Ashley for me. But Gabriel Hines is close just because he tried to do it again. But <laughs> Ashley for me. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that, trying to move to Liverpool situation with Ainsley. But um, Joe and Yanni, is it is it much of a discussion? Is, is Ashley the guy? I think so. I mean, Kolarov playing for Lazio and Roma is potentially insane, but he, he didn't go directly. Um, but yeah, it has to, has to be Ashley Cole. Makes it a nice English back four as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no disagreements with any of that. The whole story about him sort of nearly swerving off the roads, just everything about it was that kind of mid-2000s image of a spoiled footballer, plus being like a very high-profile one at that, um, looking to get a move to a newly rich club. It fits the mercenary brief perfectly, I think. Nice. Well, there we go. Ashley Cole's in our team. Turns out he's actually a really good pundit. Who'd have thought it, eh? But um, onto the right midfield we go, and we've got a few options. We've got Luis Figo. We've got David Bentley, one of the best goals scored at the Emirates of all time, of course. Um, Nicky Barmby, another one in the Abel Xavier, Everton to Liverpool, Naughties transfer stories. We've then got Willian, another Arsenal-Chelsea one. And Simao, the Portuguese winger as well. Who are we going to go for, Akil? Well, Figo was what I thought straight away before you said it. I know it wasn't a local rivalry, it was Real-Barca, but you remember how annoyed Barcelona fans were, the, the pig's head on the 
on at the new camp and or maybe at the back. Yeah, it was at the new camp, I think. Um, so yeah, I think Figo for that move at that time, that was pretty big. Um, brave, brave boy. Um, so yeah, Figo for me. Um, David Bentley, if he was any good, I might reconsider, but he's not, so Figo. <laughs> yeah, no, I I can't disagree with you with that. <laughs> I did love that goal he scored, but yeah, Kai. Great goal, but yeah. <laughs> Kai and Yoni, are, are you guys going to go for Figo too? Yeah, obviously, Joe. I made the ill-fated mistake of letting you take my other season ticket to accompany me to that four-four game at the Emirates <laughs> when Bentley did his thing and Almunia did his thing at the same time. Um, but uh, yeah, Figo, we've got another Portuguese guy in there, Samao, who apparently played for both Barcelona and Espanyol. Bit of a tasty rivalry there. But yeah, Real Madrid to Barcelona or the other way around is it's a big deal. Figo's the guy. What about Yanni? Yeah, if 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 there are fans back in the stadiums next season and Willian gets a piece of butchery lobbed at his head while he tries to take a corner at Stamford Bridge, then I might reconsider. But for now, I think it's got to be Figo just on, on the basis of everything you've said already. Um, moving on to centre mid, and there are, there are so many options here, so I'm just going to list through them. Frank Lampard, Michael Carrick, Owen Hargreaves, Cesc Fabregas, Stephen Defoe, played for Standard Liège and Anderlecht, Lee Clark, Clarence Sadoff, Joao Moutinho, Luis Enrique, Paul Lintz, Nigel Quasi. Emre, Andrea Pirlo, Marcos Llorente, Lasana Diara, Danny Ceballos, Lee Catamol, and Craig Gardner. Um, a really eclectic mix there. Akil, any names that jump out at you? Stephen DeFore does, because that's that's a big rivalry out there. Um, a lot of what you said are, they didn't go directly. So, you know, Cesc Fabregas, for example, stopped off in Barcelona before he did the move. Um, you know, a couple of the others you mentioned, I just thought, yeah, they were they were moving to rivals, but there was always a reason for them, or, or they stopped off elsewhere. So Defoe would be one. The other one, I see Frank Lampard. I didn't see that as a. I think when a player goes at the end of their career, and that's why the William thing as well. If a player goes at the end of the career, they've played their peak somewhere. That club generally aren't too upset to lose them, and I don't think Chelsea would too bother losing Lampard to City for a season or two. Um, so come back to me on the second one. All right, uh, Joe and Kai, any other names there? Craig Gardner, just love the Midlands. Did. Um, I'd go with Lampard, but more for the West Ham to Chelsea. <laughs> given um, his dad was the, you know, Frank Lampard Senior, a legend at West Ham. He'd started out there. Yeah, I agree with you, Akil. I think the City move, they probably weren't too fussed at the end. But I think, yeah, perhaps that early move in his career um, stung a bit for the, for the Hammers. On Defoe, I've just done a bit more digging and um, I guess he went from Liège to Anderlecht and it looks like a home game in Liège the fans have this banner that spans upwards from the first tier all the way to the top of the second tier and it's an image it says red or dead and it's um, not Freddy Krueger it's Jason uh, with a sword holding the decapitated head of seven, seven to four so that clearly was quite a big deal in Belgium. So I think he's got to be one of them. Otherwise, I would throw Lasana Diara in there because not only did he do Arsenal and Chelsea, but he also did PSG and Marseille. Mm. Um, but again, I think I'll, I'll leave it out there for, for Stephen DeFore's partner if, if somebody has a strong opinion. Even someone like Mario Gotza, you know, the way he went from Dortmund to Munich was quite, you know, they were in the Champions League final and all that, and it was all done a bit 
Ugh, that was a bit messy. Um, he's a shout, but yeah, happy to go with whoever. I think the Goethe one hurts even more because there was a short while when Arsenal fans really convinced themselves that he was coming to the Emirates. I remember being at a weird game in the Champions League where I think he might have picked up an injury in the first half for Dortmund. And Arsenal fans gave him a standing ovation as he was you know, subbed off because we were just convinced he was going to be our guy, which is quite <laughs> cringeworthy now that we think about it. I think Goethe was going to, we were going to throw him in on the wing possibly. Um, wow as uh, as part of this 442 but um maybe yanni just just for the sake of it how about you just wait weigh in with, with a partner for oh, defour um i like tiara because defour and tiara is like very like just places me back at around 2010 when they were both sort of youngish prospects in europe blimey uh yeah okay defour and tiara i like it i've talked myself into it now let's do that tiara mm-hmm. as you said had two two instances of that so yeah, even more Arsenal heartache with that one, given that what we let Flamini go on a free at the end of the season. And by that point, Diara decided he'd had enough and probably would have been the perfect replacement. So we got Defoe and Diara in the middle onto the left midfield. Gertz is going to be an option alongside uh, Joe Cole, who of course played for uh, West Ham and Chelsea. And then we've got Nico Kranchar, who back in Croatia played for, I think, Hajduk and Dinamo Zagreb. Um, we've got <laughs> this one, who knows how bitter the rivalry is, Damian Duff, uh, Chelsea and Fulham. And then we've got Bolo Zenden, who played for Sunderland and Middlesbrough. Yeah. Akil, uh, what about the left midfielders? I would go Gotza, I think, actually, hearing the name, just because it was it was a time when Dortmund were trying to build. They were in that Champions League final. He didn't play. Was he injured in the stands or something like that? And he just it was all a bit uh, it was just very political and messy. Um so I would go Mario Gotza. Yeah, I think, again, from outside of the Bundesliga, we all would have hoped that he might have gone elsewhere besides Bayern, where it not like serves him right or anything, but didn't didn't work out in the end. Um, Joe, left midfielder? Yeah, yeah, Goethe, it's got to be him. I'm happy he didn't go to Arsenal. I remember he was linked with Arsenal a lot, but yeah, it's got to be him. Yanni? Yeah, well, we ended up getting Thomas Eisfeld, which caused a bit of a Twitter <laughs> storm that January when it was Arsenal was signing a young, exciting midfielder from Dortmund. Uh, yeah, it's got to be good. So I think also, I mean, Bayern have signed a lot of Dortmund's players, but this really felt like they were poaching one of their like best young talents that they developed. And it kind of felt like the moment that, OK, well, mm. like get some original ideas. What's happening in Germany is just going to be Bayern domination from now on if this happens all the time, which it does. Yeah. So nice. Yeah, it is. So finally, strikers. We've got a load of names. I'll read them out quickly. Um, we'll choose two. Tevez, Adebayor, Van Persie, Defoe, Michael Owen, Crouch, Glenn Murray, Ronaldo, Cantona, Alvaro Morata, Zlatan, Colin Kazim-Richard, Andy Cole, Vieri, Kenny Miller, Mario Balotelli, Kevin Phillips, Lewandowski, Michael Chopra, Javier Zaviola, Crespo, Alan Smith, Griezmann, and last, but certainly not least, Dwight York. I mean, Akil, we've thrown a lot of names at you there, but then I imagine there's probably one or two that stand out. Yeah, so there's can... probably more than that as well. Higuain has, has, mm. has played for two big Italian clubs. Um, I think Carlos Tevez certainly does, just because, again, the way it happened, I remember him getting clapped off at Old Trafford when they thought, when well, they're not sure if they'll get to keep him, but he's, you know, he's done well there. And then he ended up at City, the whole welcome to Manchester sign with Carlos Tevez. Um, so I think, I think Tevez is probably one I would pick. Um, and then obviously, I mean, Adebayor didn't do it direct, um, but 
his move to City was just as bad and, and we had that celebration and all that. And then to go and play for Spurs, get sent off as well at the Emirates when Sakharov on Wilshire. So that was all kind of all happening there. I think all well, Martin Cazola actually. Um, so I would say Tevez, but you think of like, like Ronaldo, the Ronaldo, who played for both Milans and like Zlatan as well, who's played for both Milans. And you think that's, that's pretty, pretty, you know, um, but yeah, Tevez and I mean, Van Persie, what a, um, <laughs> but let's go out of Bayor just cause he, you know, he, I think he hasn't really made friends anywhere he's gone. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a fair shout. I don't know, Yoni or Kai, if you want to just add a couple more names there, but I think Tevez and Adebayor sounds a pretty good strike partnership for the Traitors 11. For um, Ronaldo, not only did he do both Milan's, but he also did Real Madrid and Barcelona yeah. as well, which yeah, um, yeah can, doesn't do him any favours in this in this selection unless unless he's trying to get in the team. And then, um, funnily enough, Kazim Richards, I think once upon a time dubbed the Coca Cola Kid because didn't was it a team won a competition to get some money for their team to sign a player? It might have been Brighton or Sheffield United, one way or the other. And then he did uh, Fenerbahce and Galatasaray. I think he's even played in Brazil and the Netherlands, so he's had quite a cultured journey along the way from from Brighton um but I guess maybe yeah I'll just go with well Adebayor yeah I'll I'll stick with Adebayor who can forget that celebration Arsenal fans ripping seats out of the the Man City Stadium to throw at him what do you think Yanni I mean I can't argue with either of those and they were they were a strike partnership for a while at City as well like they have actually played together so Mm. it makes sense um, I will. I'll make a case for Alan Smith because I think, in terms of the like Ferrari that surrounded that transfer, it's maybe the most analogous to the Sol Campbell one in the sense that I think he said before he's like he'll never play for United, and then this summer he was yeah. sold. He was and a hero at Leeds. Yeah, he was a total hero. At yeah, he was. He he was their boy, and then then he left the second that they got relegated, and it wasn't even his fault. It was that United entertained offers and uh, Leeds United that is and Manchester United were the only club to offer anything close to what they valued him at um, and so he was almost forced there and obviously got a lot of flack for that um, but I, I'll make a case for him but if you both think Tevez and Adebayor then I'm, I'm more than happy to go with that as well. Nice well we can have um, we can have Alan Smith on the bench cheering from the sidelines and then just to just to wrap it up we'll have George Graham as the manager you know the Arsenal and Tottenham connection so that that ends Ends thing. You, you can have Jose Mourinho as his number two. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously Arsenal's Arsenal too classy to, to ever hire Mourinho, but everybody else seems to have had a go. So <laughs> very true. Yeah. Roma's the latest um victim of Mourinho, it would appear. But anyway, I think that will on that Mourinho note, this is probably where we'll wrap things up for today. So a big thanks to my co-host Kaitel. Obviously, a massive thanks to Yoni as well. And then a special, special thank you from all of us to Akil for being such a great guest. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. And also, how can our listeners best follow you? Yep, so they can follow me on Twitter at 10 Akil. Um, and if they are an Arsenal fan and want to know more about the Arsenal Supporters Trust, then it's AST underscore Arsenal on Twitter or ArsenalTrust.org is the website. Thanks again, Akil. Yeah, no um, problem. Pleasure, My pleasure on our end. Yeah, appreciate it. As for um, our end of things, if you enjoyed this show, please do subscribe wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Check us out on social media too. We are at United Mates FP on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We have a website featuring pretty much everything that we get up to, including some great articles as well. And then if you happen to feel like putting some faces to these voices, find us on YouTube. 
just look for United Mates Football Podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button while you're at it. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye.